Hello, and welcome to Radical Candor, a podcast from Panoply and Gretchen Rubin's Onward Project about how not to hate the boss you have or be the boss you hate. I'm Kim Scott, co-founder of Candor, Inc., and author of Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. And I'm Russ Laraway, also co-founder of Candor, Inc., and career-long operational manager across the Marines, Google, and Twitter. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why telling people what to do just doesn't work. And we're going to tell some stories about times when both Russ and I have really screwed this one up. Because it's tempting. You, you, you become a boss and you think you're supposed to tell people what to do, right? We're also going to talk about how to achieve results collaboratively. And we're going to give you some practical tips, the candor checklist, for achieving oh, yeah. the results that everyone can be proud of. All right, Ross, let's jump into it. All right, let's do it. So, uh, Kim, I think one of the most common mistakes that new bosses make especially, but but I think even old bosses make this mistake. Even old, curmudgeonly bosses (laughs) like you and me. Old, craggly bosses. (laughs) They all, all of them, the young ones, the middle-aged ones, the super old ones. The ancient ones. Probably probably even a couple dead ones. That's the ancient mariner made this mistake. (laughs) There's zero doubt. The mistake (laughs) that they make... That's a lot of prelude for a really simple mistake, (laughs) Um, is that they believe that their job is to tell people what to do. And as my seven-year-old twins told me last night when I told them to eat their broccoli, mom, telling people what to do doesn't work. Yeah. And actually, I don't don't blame them. I think- Broccoli is delicious. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's yucky. Uh, broccoli is yucky. It I, tastes yucky to you. I am with Battle and Margaret on this one. Uh, <laughs> and, and I don't care what rationale they need to invent not to eat their broccoli. They're correct. Mm, they ate it. All right. So I think, Kim, so that's a good story. That's a quick story. In fact, that's probably more of a title than a story. Um, Telling people what to do doesn't work. That's yeah, our title. That's our title. So, but I think you have a good story about a time when you tried to sort of maybe tell some people what to do. And maybe like half your team quit in a week. More than half. Three <laughs> of five managers working for me quit in one week. This sounds, That sounds like a really fun week. It was really one of the worst weeks of my life. Um, painful. It was very, um, it was really painful. So here's what happened. My hope is that you can avoid making my mistakes if I tell you the story. So I had just gotten to Google and there were about 100 people on the team, on the AdSense online sales and operations team. And everybody was doing a little bit of everything. And there was no real accountability. In fact, when somebody new joined the team, the way that that person was assigned to a manager was just they got assigned to the manager who had the smallest number of direct reports. Another way they could have done that was they could have blindfolded somebody and thrown darts at a dartboard. Yeah, that was basically... That would have been the same, roughly uh, the same. Well, it, yeah, in the end, it would have worked out about the same. And there was no relationship between you and your boss and what results you were trying to achieve, right? And this, you know, this, this kind of makes Google look crazy. The fact of the matter was, this situation was a result of a runaway success. Yeah, it was, an, it was a pretty new business that was, took off That was way growing faster. like gangbusters. Nobody and, nobody yeah. really thought it would take off that fast. Yeah. And, and so people were just trying to keep up. But I think th- these were some relatively 
Weren't yeah, some young. relatively most, junior? Most of the people were, I, I, I hate, you know, I hate the word junior, but they, they were people right out of college, right? They were, they were super, super ambitious, super smart people just graduated from college and they were scrambling to keep up with a business that was on fire, right? So, so I was brought in as the quote unquote old lady, you know, the adult, the adult, su- the adult supervision. And it was a stressful situation because like often, there would be so many customers signing up that we couldn't keep up with the approvals or there'd be so many questions on some particular problem. And it was like the whole team, these hundred people, it was like a it was like a seven year old soccer game. Everybody was just scrambling to where the problem was. And so I looked at the situation. I was like, there's five things we do. Right. We approve new customers. We give them some account management uh, and so on and so forth. And so I said, why don't we break the team down? 100 people into five teams of 20, and we'll assign a manager who's in charge of each of the activities. And the people who who are most interested in that activity will focus on that activity and we'll have some accountability, right? So you just described really common sense. Like yeah, it's totally. The way almost any yeah. other normal right. place operates. Right, right. right. I mean, you <laughs> people can't... are organized by some coherent set of activities yeah. that, that together achieve some common hopefully measurable thing. Yeah, yeah, when I was when I when I wrote this story in the book, my editor was like, "Wait, wait a minute. That's like that would be like running the New Yorker where everybody's editing and writing and report like, no, you need to spe- specialize, right?" And and so what I did was I just told everybody what to do. I was like, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide up into these five teams and you are going to lead this team and you're going to lead that team and I and I changed everybody's direct reports all around seemed perfectly logical right uh and then this still doesn't sound crazy no nothing sounds crazy wasn't crazy it was it was in fact the right thing to do the problem was that i had spent zero time explaining why i had these ideas and i had also spent zero time listening to the team about their ideas. In fact, there were some nuances to what was going on that I didn't understand because I hadn't spent nearly enough time listening to them, getting their ideas. I hadn't spent enough time allowing people to debate these ideas so that they felt like they were their own. And and I just declared, this is what we're going to do. And three of my five managers just quit. And Google they didn't leave Google. They just joined other teams at Google. And and one of the great things about like poof, poof, yeah, it's like no team. <laughs> and I thought I'm I'm gonna get fired. I've just moved from New York to California to take this new job to show that I can achieve these amazing results. And instead, I'm I'm gonna get fired. You can't lose three of five managers in one week and not get fired. Now I was lucky. I had a great boss. And I went to her and I said, I said to her, what did I do wrong? I described the plan. She said, look, perfectly reasonable plan. That's why we hired you to put that into place. But you did it in the wrong way. She said, imagine that you're spinning a rope. Imagine that you've you've got a long rope and you're spinning it over your head, right? Like you're about to lasso a little Yeah, a little calf or something. And uh, she said, it doesn't feel like the rope is moving that fast to you because you're just kind of tweaking your wrist a little bit, right? Moving your arm just a little bit. But if you're at the end of that rope, it feels like you're going to get flung off the rope, right? It's scary. And I, it, for some reason, when she told me that, it reminded me of 
birthday parties I used to go to as a kid, skating parties, you know, and you'd, you'd make one of those long lines and you'd go around in a circle and the person at the end of the line always got flung off the circle. It was scary. And I realized that was sort of what I had done to my team. I had I had made them feel like, you know, they were being whipped around in ways they couldn't even understand. It's off-putting. I mean, because I think a lot of us have kind of actually been on the other end of that before. Of course. You know, and it's just hard. It's sort of hard to realize. It's sort of hard to put yourself in the in the shoes of the person who's actually creating that sort of whiplash at the other end of the rope, right? Right. By the way, did you get fired? I did not get fired. Instead, Cheryl, let me hire people like you and you... <laughs> You help me sort things out. Yeah, I, we came in and we were like, "Hey, look how well everything's organized." <laughs> um, so I have I have kind of a similar story. Um, uh, going back to the Marines again, um, this is a story of a new lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things you that were the new lieutenant. I was uh, okay. it's called a new lieutenant, Russ Lairway. And um, a lot of people uh, don't know that even though you're an officer. Um, which, you know, a lot of people have some idea that they're saluting and respect and these kinds of things. When you show up to your unit, nobody gives a crap what you think. It's really. sort of like being a new boss. Nobody really. You are, you are actually a new boss. So you've been in school, in this case, for yeah. 10 months. Mm-hmm. You think you know a lot. Yeah, you learn a lot in 10 months. Yeah, right? but you don't actually really know anything about operating one of these teams. As my grandfather would say, you don't know, beep, from Shanola. <laughs> um, that was an amazing sound effect. I bet I bet our listeners can't. T- I'm gonna. So for the listeners, sometimes we have to put an actual beep on Kim. I'm learning how to self censor in post production. But that one, I'm sure you can't tell, but that one she did herself. Uh, there was not that was not one that one of the producers did. I know it's impossible, probably impossible for you to tell the difference. So um, I'd been to school for ten months. I show up, and you know, in your first job, you're in charge of like a forty person group. And I had sort of an extra dimension to to my new job in that I showed up, say, mid-April, and we were actually deploying to Okinawa in Mm mid-May. So I I really had no time to train with any of my Marines or anything. In fact, I showed up, and most people were sort of like on vacation, pre-deployment vacation, basically. So I, I, I had a hard enough time just even getting to know my Marines. Um, and how many Marines did you have? Uh, but it's 43 uh, by, mm-hmm. by Marine Corps standards. It's a little less than that. You almost never deploy with a full with a full group, but it's supposed to be 43 Marines Got it. Uh, is what it's supposed to be. So uh, we get on a big, giant airplane. We fly over to Okinawa. You know, the job of the Marines over there is really uh, it's strategic deterrent to prevent North Korea from uh, rolling across the DMZ and invading right. South Korea. That's, like so our job. that's important. Yeah, it's that's pretty important. an important job. So as soon as you get over there, Okinawa is uh, subtropical. And so you do a bunch of training in the jungles there. And mm-hmm. there's habu snakes and banana spiders. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really a, a new place. And uh, so real early on, we got the Marines out there. We got them acclimated to the, you know, sort of the heat and humidity right. and everything. We got them out there in the jungle and we were running a patrolling exercise, basically a training exercise. And based on all the things I'd learned at school, I saw my Marines doing a lot of stuff wrong. A lot of book knowledge you had. I had all that book knowledge and I was, I mean, I was fresh out of school, Um, but they are legitimately doing a lot of stuff wrong. Mm -hmm. They are. So you're not wrong in your assessment. I'm not wrong. So, but, but I do something really wrong. Mm -hmm. We come back from the exit. I'm taking notes. I've got a notebook, of course, and I'm taking notes on all the things we're doing wrong. I'm not talking because you're not supposed to talk during the exercise. And I get back and I have this giant pile of 
feedback, actually. Yeah, you're, so this it's, is a, you're gonna tell them what to do. I'm gonna tell them what to do. How so, it's done, what to do and how to do it. And so I just, I, and I get, they're all sitting in front of me and I just started reading from my notebook all the stuff they did wrong and that we're mm-hmm. gonna improve. They sat uh-huh. there quietly and listened and I was like, oh, seems like these guys <laughs> yeah, really, these guys are gonna do what I say. They're really taking it in. And then uh, it's time to head back and we have to sort of all walk back. You know, you don't really get a ride anywhere in the infantry and the Marines, you have to walk everywhere. And uh, basically the three leaders, kind of three leaders, mm-hmm. squad, they're called squad leaders, uh, enlisted guys who lead about a 13 person each um, group. And the most senior of them, uh, Sergeant Espino, mm-hmm. he sort of grabs me by the elbow and he says, hey, sir, you mind falling back here uh, for a little bit? And, you know, they let the rest yeah. of the Marines go and the squad leaders grabbed me and pulled me so behind. So is the squad leader work for you or he's, I'm, I'm not so sure about the hierarchy. Yeah, though. squad leader definitely works for me. Okay. Yeah, they're they're sort of my, they're like manager, I'm like it's a like manager of managers. like your direct report. Yeah, they're my direct reports. Okay. Yeah. And so they, uh, they grab me and they say, um, listen, uh, you can never do that again. <laughs> It's the first thing, first thing, which sounds, I think a lot of people might be surprised yeah. by that. This is, yeah. you know, some people, we don't, I don't use the word superior. Like you don't love the word junior. I don't love the word yeah. superior, but I'm a superior officer in this right. case. And yeah. this sergeant just said, you don't ever do that again. And they went on to explain, look, you have some good points. This was not our best effort. And they went on to explain a few other things. Your Marines have just been on vacation for a month. Right. Your Marines... Uh, have trained really hard leading up to that vacation. Your Marines just got acclimated. This is the first training exercise. Right. And you don't tell them all this stuff and embarrass them and embarrass us. You tell us. Right. And we'll work out a plan together for right. how to get the Marines to, to sort right. of do. And so I, I got what basically was a, a polite, a very clear lecture about how to work with this team, this leadership right. team to help drive results collaboratively, not to stand up there and dictate and to a group say, of And say, here's what we're going to do. say, here's what we're going to do. So it was a really, again, like really lucky, super, super important lesson, like really shaped me. Yeah. Thank goodness he was able to tell you. Yeah. So I, clearly. Yeah. Like, that's, you owe that guy one. You, in I fact, do. you should send him an email today. Sergeant Espino. I'm going to try to, I'm going to figure out a way to make sure Sergeant Espino gets... <laughs> Gets, Some thanks. gets to listen to this uh, podcast, so he gets the shout out. But I'm, I'm probably a 22, 23-year-old manager, and I got one of the greatest lessons about driving results collaboratively. So I think it's such a, such a great story, Russ. I think what becomes clear from both of our stories is that when you're trying to get things done, when you're trying to achieve results, one person doesn't have all the answers, especially not the boss, right? You've got to work collaboratively. You've got to use everybody's experience and everybody's wisdom and and everybody's thoughts in order to achieve the best results. And now it's time for a listener question. And a reminder, if you ever have a question or feedback for us, you can call us at 2626-CANDOR or write us at podcast at radicalcandor.com, just like this listener did. The letter reads, I don't think of myself as a dictator. On my team, I let the people closest to the work make the decisions, and I have confidence that this particular decision-making process is good. But then there's the problem of announcing the decisions. I sometimes worry that I just sound like the suit giving marching orders. Is there a right way to announce new decisions so that the rest of the team feels included? This is a this is a really good question, and I really 
I actually applaud how sensitive this person is to this to this situation because it could be tempting to have gone through this this process of getting the decisions out into the facts, and then when it's time to announce, to, to, to be aware that you might come off as a dictator after having followed a great inclusive process. Yeah, I, I really admire the sensitivity to to how this might be perceived, and um, spent a bunch of time thinking about this since since reading the question. Um, I, I, we have a few. I have a few different pieces of advice, and I know you've got some ideas on this too. The the first thing I'd say is it's never gone wrong for me when I've been transparent with people about a process that I followed, right? So you just went through a process where you were pretty inclusive. You went through a process where you pushed the decisions out to the people closest to the facts, right? You know, it seems like you've done all the right things. I think it's probably not a bad idea as you're getting ready to say, quote unquote, announce the decision. Go ahead and give people some transparency into how exactly you arrived at yeah. having made the decision. In fact, maybe you didn't make the decision at all. Somebody else did. Yeah. And it sounds like for this person, in, in many cases, uh, that's the case. And so that's the first thing is talk to people about the process that you follow. That'll help dampen the feeling that you're this dictator up there. Here's the, you know, the suit announcing the decision. Yeah. You want to kind of show your work. Right? Yeah, exactly. Show your work. Yeah. I think another thing that is often really persuasive is to let the person who made the decision announce the decision. Dick Costolo at Twitter used to say a great thing. He said, your team wants the stage. Show them the stage. Like, you don't have to be the one who's announcing it. You don't have to be the one who's persuading the team. Let the person who made the decision do the talking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't have to be the one who announces it. You can ju- you can just make sure they have the venue to announce their decision. I think one of the things you can do is let your team persuade the others. But when the skeptics come in, when the trolls step up, you've got to step in and help them. I think another way that you can help the people on your team be more persuasive when explaining a decision is to borrow an ancient of uh, uh, an ancient and wonderful. Uh, technique proved by time. Aristotle said, in order to be persuasive, you have to share your logic, you have to establish your credibility, and you have to address the emotions in the room. And just helping people remember that they have to do all three of those things when persuading about a decision is one of the best services you can offer your team as a boss. Yeah, I think this idea, so so the first two are maybe pretty intuitive, but this idea of acknowledging and dealing with the emotions in the room, I think is often lost in, you know, when we get a little too transactional about things, right? We got to announce the decision. We're going to share the logic, but we don't necessarily honor the emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So if you put it all together very briefly, it's okay to be transparent about the process that you followed to make it clear you followed an inclusive process and you have pushed the decisions out to the facts. Um, Bring in other voices. Let the person who made the decision announce the decision, but you stand there ready to back them up if things get a little weird. And then last is... Think about and honor the emotions in the room. Thank you so much for the question. It's a great one. And thank you for your efforts not to tell people what to do. Telling people what to do doesn't work. And now it's time for this week's Candor Checklist. Concrete tips you can put into practice today or tomorrow in your own workplace. This week's checklist is, of course, all about not telling people what to do and what to do instead. Tip number one. Let direct reports choose the agenda for one-on-one meetings. 
Your one-on-one meetings with your direct reports are your time to listen and clarify. It's not the time when you should be telling them what to do or giving them feedback. Yeah, and I think especially for a one-on-one, when you turn over the decision-making for the agenda to your direct report, my, my experience has been that that dramatically increases sort of their feeling of ownership over their work. Just that one that one little change can really because now it's 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 on them to decide what's the important thing to come talk to you about. And it's also on you to listen. Listening is work. It's not a passive activity. It is hard work and it is your job if you're the boss. So let your direct reports choose the agenda for your one on one meetings. Tip number two in team meetings, make it clear whether the agenda is to debate or decide. So important. So often, tension arises on a team when half the room thinks that they're there to make a decision and the other half of the room thinks they're there to debate. And the debaters wonder why the decision makers are rushing to a decision. And the decision makers wonder why the debaters want the meeting to go on forever and ever and ever. And they start to hate each other. They start, like this is, this is when emotions really run high. So really important tip. And sometimes it's not the whole meeting. Sometimes it's specific agenda items can have different objectives. Sometimes the objective might be to make a decision. Sometimes it might be just to relate information. Sometimes it might be just to solve a problem or to debate. Um, it doesn't have to be a whole meeting, but the idea is try to be really clear about what you're trying to achieve with a given agenda item or for a full meeting. And also who's in charge of that debate and that decision. And often you are not in charge, which brings us to tip number three. You are not the decider. At least most of the time you shouldn't be the decider. You're going to get the best decisions when you push them into the facts, when the when the people who are closest to what's really going on are making the decisions and telling you what the decisions are. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. A lot of times, I think so in some cultures and some environments, um, dependent, you might be very close to the facts and you might be responsible for everything the team does or fails to do. And you might have to make the, it might be the expectation that you need to make the decision. But I'd say two things. One is, I think it's really worth experimenting with push with pushing decisions closest to the facts. It's it's you will probably get better decisions. Number one, number two, you will definitely get better decisions. <laughs> you will I almost would argue. almost certainly. And then uh, I think, but I think the second point, and maybe the most important thing, is to identify explicitly who the decider is. Who has the facts? Yeah, who has the facts, and say out loud for everyone, so everyone knows who is the person who's supposed to make that decision. Exactly. For further tips on not telling people what to do, check out the show notes for this episode, episode six at RadicalCandor.com slash podcast. Now it's time to announce this week's Candor t-shirt winner. As you know, we're doing a t-shirt giveaway for listeners who leave us a review on iTunes. To enter, all you have to do is go to iTunes and leave us a review, a radically candid one. Each episode, we're randomly selecting, not just selecting for praise, a listener from the reviews and giving them a really cool candor t-shirt. This week's winner is Lish1986, who left us a review on January 16th, 2017. I'm not a traditional boss or manager in the business world. I'm actually a middle school teacher. Huh. Still, the skills needed for managing groups of people are the same. This podcast looks like it'll be great to help refine my classroom management skills. The hosts are great, and I already plan to make the, quote, care personally, challenge directly philosophy a part of my classroom management plan. 
Thank you very much, Lish. That is great feedback. We really appreciate it and uh, and agree that this can really be effective in the educational environment. Yes, Lish. In fact, shout out to my sister-in-law, Eleanor Scott, who, who taught radical candor at the KIPP school. So glad you found this helpful. Such an important job you have as a middle school teacher. Thank you for doing it. So, Lish, to get your T-shirt, please email us at podcast at radicalcandor.com to claim your T-shirt. Want to make sure you get that. It's awesome. Russ picked it out just for you. For the rest of our listeners, we'll be announcing another winner on the show next week. So make sure to leave us a review in iTunes and tune in next week. And that's it for this episode of Radical Candor. Our producer is Kristen Meinzer. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Our theme song is by Cliff Goldmacher. Radical Candor is part of the Onward Project, a network of shows from Gretchen Rubin that also include her show, Happier, and Chris Gillibo's show, Side Hustle School. Every day, Side Hustle School profiles different people doing what they love. Recently, I heard an episode about a woman who started Airbnb for pets. No way. Yeah, as a dog lover, I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. When I go out of town, I always feel so guilty. What am I going to do with, with Elsa? Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Candor. Our email address is podcast at radicalcandor.com. Our website is radicalcandor.com. And the Radical Candor book is available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Passage, and your local bookseller. And if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend or subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. I'm Kim Scott. And I'm Russ Laraway. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.